0: okay hello everybody out there uh welcome to the leading with love empathy action what's happening
1: (laughs) (laughs) did you not watch me turn it
2: off though did you not watch me turn it off
1: we watched and we have it
2: we have a surprise caller Caller one
0: one. (laughs) the leading with love empathy action Humanities Podcast. Okay, hello there. Welcome to the Leading with Love, Empathy, Action, and Humanity Podcast. I am Alex Kirk. With me is uh, Dr. Jessica Miller, and we have an awesome guest this week, and it is Kim Gerald. Today's podcast is going to be talking about multi-age and multi-level classrooms. So um, yes, Jessica, do you want to introduce today's guest?
2: I do. We have here with us today, Kim Gerald. Um, I met Kim. I don't know two two years ago now. Kim, one was it? Has it only been one year? It feels like two. It feels like it feels like a lot longer than that. I know. But I met Kim when she came to work at the county that I work at, and we work together. And she's just this amazing leader and instructional leader, and does amazing things um, with really small children, which is not usually my jam. So I've really enjoyed learning from from Kim. Um, so Kim, why don't you tell us a little bit about your your background and intro and who,
1: who you are? Sure. Mm-hmm. So I've been in education. I was trying to think about this on the way over. I, th- I think this is my start of my 27th year, it's and you look so while. young. I'm telling that's you. yeah. I, I, <laughs> I don't know how that's possible. Telling you, um, started out um, in in elementary. Stayed in elementary um, for most of my career, and um, was fortunate enough in my very beginnings of, of teaching. It was during the time of class size reduction, and we were in need of teachers. Desperately. And so they pulled some people out and said, of uh, the final semester of their credential program and said, Hey, would you like to be a part of the internship program? You'll take your last semester, we'll finish it up, and you'll get paid a base salary. It's like, Sure, I'll mm-hmm. do that. So I was placed in a multi age program. So I had a a partner to work with, just and it was me, it was gosh, they were in their second month, I think. And in this multi-age program, there are two teachers. It's a kindergarten, first, and second program. And the teacher, the partner teacher, had to leave for personal reasons, and they brought in this intern <laughs>
2: to do this program. <laughs> this intern named Kim Gerald. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I didn't know. I I knew you had a lot of experience in multi-age classrooms. I did not know until this moment, though. That you were put in there as an intern. Yes, that's that's huge. And it
1: took a lot. I, I remember walking into the the staff lounge, meeting my partner. Of course, she wasn't expecting for her partner to leave and then have an intern come in, and she stormed out. She was so <laughs> mad that she got an intern as her partner. It took me a while. It took me until January of that year to gain her trust, and then from then on, it was gold. And we were. It was. She was one of the best partners I've I've ever worked with. She was a great mentor. Wow. But stormed out at first. Yeah. Um. Talk about trust building. Yeah. Right. So that was um, my first year, and then actually moved to a different site, um, taught third grade for a few years, and we were in really declining enrollment in this community that, w- that I was in. So the school was concerned that we were going to lose teachers because of the of the declining enrollment. And so I pitched it to my principal, this idea of a multi-age program. I said, there's nothing like this out here in the area. Um we have parents who are looking at Montessori and other, you know, types of programs. And I said, we could actually build a multi-age program and have something to draw families back to our school. It would be the only traditional school that had a choice of two different programs. So she's like, okay, if you want to pilot it, let's, you know, take it to the board, see if we'll get approval for a pilot. And so we did. And they let us go ahead and try this multi-age program out. I found a partner who would do it with me. And after the first year, the board was so happy with the way things went and, and you know, the results that we got from the parents and students and whatnot that they went ahead and approved it and said, you're good. Um, and then that grew into three multi-age programs so it was it's always been it was always about 20 to 22 percent of our population chose to be in the multi-age program
0: so kim i've been in education for almost 20 years and i really have never even heard of a multi-age classroom like as i mean is it like an old one room schoolhouse kind of idea is that what that is what is that exactly yeah i mean
1: Very much along those lines. It's not what it gets confused with a lot of times is a combo class, and that was a lot of the pieces that we had to do to educate parents about what it was. Was it's not a combination class? It's not where you have kids of three different grade levels and you are teaching three different curriculums. That's not what it is. It's a it's a program where it's if it's kindergarten through second or whatever your age span is, they're in there for three years. Um, you are looking at a curriculum in a scope of three years, which gives the educator a lot of freedom. Um, mm. So that's one of the, the benefits that I loved about it. Um, so if you're a kindergartner, you stay in. The beauty for for parents is that they know you and your, your teaching partner, because typically it's two partners. So for instance, af- after class size reduction went away, we had two teachers and anywhere from now 44 to 48 kids um, in about, uh, in three rooms. They gave us three rooms that were connected so we can move in and out. But one of the benefits is just that the parents get to know you really well. So, you know, for parents who are, don't have that trust of school, didn't have a great experience themselves, it typically takes a year to gain their trust. And then by then in a traditional setting, you're like, okay, you're off to the new teacher. And then you have to, that parent has to start all over again. In multi-age, that doesn't happen.
2: Yeah, you build those relationships, which is a huge part of the framework is the relationships and trust with Mm -hmm. our folks, right? Mm -hmm. So I know that um, you were a principal of a multi-age program as well, is that?
1: Right, so the school that I was at, I ended up becoming the principal of that site. Okay, so it was nice because I knew the program and, and was able to right to still support it
2: right. So when you're when when we were thinking about going from teaching to principaling in this program, um, what is wh- how did equity how did equity work in this setting? Like, would you say the setting increased equity? Like, excuse me, equitable outcomes at your school, um, and if so, how?
1: Just really the the big piece one is. For me, my big philosophy is always about relationships first. And I hear that a lot in education, right? Mm-hmm. Relationships, relationships. But we have a year to do it as a teacher in a traditional program. Mm-hmm. And you you can build those relationships, but then then the students and the families move on. And like I said, in multi-age, it's, it's relationships are first. And it's um, because you have kindergarten, first, second graders, you have a big span. It's not your typical you know, span of what you might have in, in a, a single grade classroom. And so it's, yeah, You we accept everybody exactly how they come. It's like our motto is like, we meet you where you are. That is, that is exactly what we do. And so, and I guess your mentality has to be that way because you the range of students that you're working with is so much more varied, but not atypical, for a kindergarten through second grade classroom, if you were in a first grade classroom, would you have students functioning at a kindergarten level? Absolutely. Yes. Would you have students who were, you know, functioning, reaching at a second grade level? Yes. Your numbers are just more. Mm-hmm. So instead of like maybe one and one at, you know, first grade or kinder- or second grade or kindergarten levels, you, you have more of them. Mm-hmm. But second graders have to understand that no matter what, if they're working with kindergartners, Whatever assets they bring, what is their asset? Because Mm -hmm. that's what you're going to bring to that that group work. Mm -hmm. That's what you're going to tap into.
2: That leads us so nicely to our next question about this too. I love that you brought up the assets approach. So um, when we talked about this episode a little bit, you, you, you mentioned that there was a lot of, um, you, you saw in your time as both a teacher and a principal, a lot of success mm-hmm. that we, we sometimes don't see in traditional classrooms. Mm-hmm. What do you attribute that to? Do you attribute that to that assets based approach or the relationships or all of the above? Yeah.
1: <laughs> First and foremost relationships. There, mm-hmm. there are some families that we had because siblings would come through that we had relationships for 12 years mm-hmm. and they just, they just trust you. They just know. And not only that, but they know what the philosophy the of classroom, the, the classroom is. So when we had, you know, we we could say to parents who wanted to help in the classroom, we can say, okay, here's how you train them. And then they would know exactly what to do for three years. And we'd say, okay, can you train the next group? So then the parents would be a part of that. Or like welcoming the, the parents who are parents of, we called them younger, middlers, olders. So we did not grade them. Mm, we wanted to get away from the gradedness. So we called them, kindergartners were youngers, first graders were middlers, second graders were olders. If you were a parent of an older or a middler, we s- set up like the first day of school, it was like a welcome to multiage, age And so they had a little gathering outside the classroom, <laughs> served two purposes. They uh-huh. were busy with themselves and not not with hovering over the kindergarten sure, students because sure. kindergarten students were fine. Um but, you know, welcoming them. And, and so it brought that, com- it's really like, it's, it just brought that community piece in. Which is so lacking,
2: I think, in our traditional system. Mm-hmm. I'm getting excited about this. Why don't we have this in more schools, Kim?
1: That's a great question. <laughs> Alex, I so hear, Kim, yeah. So,
0: b- Kim, before I forget, so I was just thinking, so these kids and this, these classrooms as well, I mean, um, studies have been done how, you know, we seem to be lacking a lot more empathy Mm -hmm. in the last decade 15 20 years so with the kids in a multi-age classroom if they're there obviously for several years with the same kids they have to and the younger and the older students do you see that that they're really able to develop that skill set better and help out with the smaller children and stuff
1: yeah and and it's not just so there it was really hard to to find when i when we were starting to to launch it in that in the second district I was in, it was hard to find the research because so much of the research is crossed over with combo classes. Mm-hmm. They call it multi-age, but if you really do look at some of the data that was available at that time, and um, there there was data support that that was in fact the case, is that multi-age students not only performed mm-hmm. equally as well or better academically, but that it, the big difference was in that social-emotional com- component. And then the third grade teachers would tell us because once they left second grade with us, they would go into a traditional classroom. Um, They did say without even, we could tell which students came from the multi-age programs just by how they interacted with other students um, and just their level of empathy. And it was, it came more from like, well, we need, you know, what do you need help with? Just, they just said you could just tell which yeah it was interesting. That is very, very interesting.
2: interesting. Are those programs still, I know what district you came from. So are those programs still in place since you've left yes, the district? thankfully.
1: Nice. Yeah, so it's, I think they're going <laughs> on over 20 years and maybe 22 or 23 years, which is fantastic. Um, because that's, and that was the whole goal is, it's one thing to start a program, but it needs to be able to survive when you're not there. So that's like a true test of, is that, is that really a part of the culture? Is that, have you really built in the systems or whatever it is that you need the, the philosophy for that program to sustain with you gone? And it has, thankfully. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah.
2: That's amazing that we're able to set up a program
1: that has kept this type of momentum
2: and this type of success. And when we talk about um, educational outcomes of students, it's just so impressive to hear that you put this program in place that's really creating equitable outcomes, thinking outside the box, putting the work in educating all the stakeholders but that really is that action piece of the leadership framework and and you and you and you did that as an intern on, which is so impressive so
1: and it begs the question are we thinking are we thinking outside the box as far as We know we have some other resources available to create more equitable environments. Are we thinking outside the box? Are we thinking in terms of maybe it's not a multi-age classroom, but, you know, some other configurations I was just thinking if multi-age didn't work was a, a situation where it was like a pod. So a team of teachers had kindergarten first, second, third, where that team worked together because then you're building a team that team function vertically through the grade. So even if you couldn't have a situation, because a lot of work, multi-age is a lot of work. And even if you couldn't find two teachers who are willing to take on three grade levels, could you create that in a different way to the benefit of of the students and the families? Or in, and you can speak to this, but in secondary, typically you have a teacher who teaches, you know, algebra, and then a different teacher teaching geometry or whatnot, right? So as the students go through, right. could you not have a student who built a relationship with a teacher continue with that teacher to the next, do you know what I'm saying, level of math or whatever it is? I mean, if we really do say that we know that relationships and that that component is so important, why, why haven't we had a bigger conversation around how do we leverage that? And how we create, you know, how we build our systems in our schools.
2: I I love it. Yeah. Because that's the key, right? right? It's the talking and the not action. And um, we know the importance through research of relationships with students. And we're not building systems to allow that to happen. And I, I think that's a huge part of the inequitable outcomes we're still seeing.
0: Well, you know, we just throw kids in classrooms, and so you—it's the luck of the draw. We've all, most of us, have done it in traditional education. You get a great teacher, and you love them, and then the next year you're going to get a eh, teacher or somebody that actually might not be so great for you at all. Whereas, you're right—if if we—if we, if you got a teacher that you have a good relationship with, and you know, we we all know that the more you ha- you build that trust with the kid, the the more they're going to perform for you. Then why not leave them? In a situation where they feel safe and where they feel like they can perform, and you know, have that for several years at a time, that sounds pretty powerful.
1: And and I will say, as far as the students, I feel like the programs serve the best for where those students who who had those, you know, those needs, right? the, the needs that you needed to invest time in students maybe who are on the spectrum like it takes them a while it takes you a while to build a relationship and have that trust it takes you a while to understand how to set them up for success in their learning patterns and by the time you figure that out after a year like i said they're gone we, and we those students in particular he, we we had one student it took us all of kindergarten year to get Everything in place for him to work with, the psych and the counselor, and you know our RSP SAI teacher. We had something really great by the end of his kindergarten year, and it got to stay with him through first and second. And he knew who his teachers were going to be each year. That's the other big thing about multi is the anxiety of the students. It's kind of sad because they leave in kindergarten and first, be like bye, and you're like wait a minute, where's the good big goodbye? They didn't have to because they knew exactly where they were coming back to. And the other piece about equitable. Um, outcomes is when you think about how long it takes for a student to get acclimated to a new classroom. It's about minimum four to six weeks, right? So we're talking, you know, month, a month and a half, twice because they don't have to. If you don't have to take that time to get to know the students from kindergarten to first and first to second, that is a lot of learning. <laughs> that is that you can jump right into. Weeks. Yes. So when we're trying to figure out what our students need, what, you know, what extra supports or what extensions, whatever it is, we don't need to really do that past kindergarten because we know who they are coming in the door. Right. That's beautiful. And, and so that, that's the other big piece is just that, that benefit was huge mm-hmm. as a teacher. Mm-hmm.
2: Listening to you, um, I'm listening to you talk right now and the passion in your face about this. And we've talked about this before over like, you know, office talk, but, um, how how can you, as your position now as a county administrator, there's a little bit more. Um, I guess your fingers are in more places. I guess now, um, have you thought about how you could use your leadership in this area to to promote it? Maybe thinking about our districts or thinking who we work. Is there is there a, do you have a plan going forward?
1: I don't have a plan going forward yet. This first year for me was just yeah, that, figuring that is out true. the landscape. <laughs> it's been a crazy year for everybody. Agreed. Yeah. But what is nice in this position is that I do get to go into um, different sites, like onto campuses, and see. And and there are some small campuses where they have very small numbers, you know, per classroom. And um, and to me, it's like, hey, have you? <laughs>
2: this is a perfect Let me influence you here i know
1: have you ever thought of uh, and i mean i have done that right yeah. like as just put a bug in there have you ever thought of multi-aged you you kind of have a perfect setting here mm-hmm. um so letting people think outside of their box as
2: mm-hmm, well mm-hmm. in their schools and kind of using that um leadership skills that you have to plant that bug mm-hmm. yeah go ahead alex it sounded like you wanted to say something oh I, I,
0: I just i was um yeah i think it's it's just we're we're so restricted by that structure of the system and even after covid and everything i keep expecting or wanting us to be looking outside the box more and,
1: and i feel
0: <laughs> like we're we're missing that that opportunity it's still very much business as usual and it's, it's that structure and actually for me you know transitioning as i just did this last couple of weeks to an elementary school setting it is it is so 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 structured it's like 30 or 40 year flashback from when i was in school and so yeah it it's i feel like we need to explore be exploring different options more and again do what works best for the kids kim you said just a minute ago you know some some kids have a, a very high needs and making that connection is super important otherwise you just can't get down to any of the business of education in the first place mm-hmm. so yeah the better you're able to do that and and that you have a you know our kids have a safe person to go to and you have that rapport but Right. By the time you kind of get there with most kids, you have them like 10 months, and then boom, they're off to the next person and they have to start all over. It's mm-hmm. kind of traumatic for a lot of those kids. They, you know, it's difficult for them to cope with that level of change. So,
1: very much so, and, and even more so after COVID.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But
1: my question I always start with is where did our system begin? I mean, how did it start? Like, where did it come from? It came from the Industrial Revolution when we had to have mass education of kids when we didn't have a system. So we had this system geared towards the minimal level of education, right? Where they just had to know basic and for some, not for students right outside of that that. Right, And so it's like, it was not education for all. And so when I think about our system today, and like you said, Alex, at 30, 40 years, it hasn't changed. It's like, why not? Why haven't we thought about this a little bit more? When we think about why, how are the purposes for why our system, education system was set up the way it is, was not designed to educate the students of today. And it wasn't for that purpose. It was to get them it, it, because, like I said, out of the farms into the factories. And what do we need to do to get them their basic level of of, of skill? That's not what we're trying to do. So why haven't we thought about you know?
2: <laughs> because change is hard, and that's what we're here what that's what we're here for. It is. But you know, I think I think is the more we talk about this and 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 changing these systems that are so antiquated and so just not working. Actually, I will say they are working exactly as they're designed, but they need a redesign. And um, the thing with change though, is people fear that loss that comes with change, right? So how are we going to use our leadership skills and our leadership framework to really start to look at these systems and take action, which you did. And I'm so proud of you for it. And I'm so proud that um, it's still running there. That's amazing. That's some leadership skills, girl. What? <laughs> but we are running out of time. I do want to say thank you to Kim Gerald. Um, she's amazing. Thank you so much,
1: Kim. Thank you, Alex.
2: And we are like wallmates, so I get to hear the brilliance of this woman all the time at work, <laughs> which is awesome. But um, I am signing off. This is leading with love, empathy, action, and humanity. You can find us at leahumanityday.com dot com or on all the socials at love empathy action. All right, guys, we'll see you next time.
0: Thank you so much, everybody.
2: This has been Leading
0: with Love, Empathy, Action, and Humanities Podcast. Hosted
2: by Dr. Jessica Miller and Alex Kirk. Production by A Serious Production. For more information, please go to www.leahumanity.com www.leahumanity.com